0: What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Spotlight on Elemental Arts with your host for the evening, Eagle Death. For this week's episode, we welcome on to the show, Rumble Mastering out of London. It was like doing this weird thing. It had this mean feedback, so it was weird. Oh,
1: no, that's like, the worst. Like, you can't yeah, talk when like Yeah, you I figured out yourself. what it was, though. Yeah, I was sitting
0: too close to the mic, okay, so okay. Um, it was sounding <clears> super loud. Yeah. Great to finally talk with you though in person, man. How you doing? No, you
1: too, man. Yeah, no, all good. I um, yeah, I've got a few weeks off work, so um, so yeah, sort of just sat in the studio, cracking on.
0: Nice, man. Are you um, are you working at like a um, at a studio doing mastering or?
1: Well, I work at um, so I've got two jobs. So I work at a college, um, throughout the week, and then when I come home, I've got my studio set up. That's where I do all my mastering and music from. So. So, yeah, it's sort of like I nice. live two lives. <laughs> yeah, man. Dude, I love your accent, man. Where are you from? <laughs> I'm from, I'm um, actually from Southeast London. So, oh, nice. it, it's a place called Bromley. And um, Bromley's like right next to Croydon, which is where obviously you probably heard of Scream, Banger, that lot all came from. So. Mm-hmm. so, yeah, not too far from where it all happened. Do you
0: still live out there?
1: No, no, at the moment I'm on, um, I'm in Brighton. So, Brighton's like the South Coast. So basically, everyone who grew up in London, um, their nearest seaside town for a day out is is Brighton down below. Do
0: you guys have like a uh, a good music scene out there? Or yeah, is it's actually more like-
1: yeah, yeah, it's really good in Brighton actually. Um, I was actually surprised. So what I actually found is that in London, um, they they put loads of like sound restrictions on and like time restrictions too, especially with COVID. So a lot of venues mm. in London were like closing quite early um and were sort of limited to having their like in-house sound system. So it's actually not that good for going out for like this kind of music for like dubstep and stuff. Um So what kind of music do you guys have out there? So yeah, in in, in Brighton, I've only lived there for like a year and a half. But um last year, last summer, they brought down so many sound systems, like um you yeah, no, play like reggae, dub, that sort of thing. Um, and people in Brighton love that sort of thing. Um, drum, bass, to some dubstep. But, um, but yeah, it was getting to the point last year where I'd have to pick between like different sound systems to choose from depending on the night. Um, and I feel like I definitely wouldn't have that. I sort wish
0: of- we had that, that problem here.
1: Whereabouts are you exactly?
0: I'm in Colorado, but I'm like almost two hours away from Denver. So there's not okay. really much of a music scene where I live at. It's just super quiet, which is perfect for me. Cause if I stayed in Denver, I would be out almost <coughs> every weekend.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: Broke as hell. Yeah. And I would never get any music done.
1: <laughs> That's where the black box is, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's out in
1: Denver. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. So we got we got the black box and then we also have um Dumb Day Sound System and Pomegranate Sound System as well. Okay. Um, which are two different locations but it's tight though because we just had like a really good sound system event here about maybe a week or two ago yeah so it was like obf Iration steppers nice um, uh buka uh corn complex so it, it was tight it was, that was a sick night i really enjoyed that
1: sweet nice man it sounds good
0: yeah man so i know you went to school for like doing professional mastering and stuff Did are you doing um live like live sound as well or are you just doing in studio recordings
1: yeah it's actually like live sound is stuff that i've never never touched on um i think it's 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 in a way it's a different can of worms really um i've watched people doing it and it's i've seen a few things i'm familiar with um but i yeah i feel like live sound is almost like people management you know going up to the dj turning the volume down a bit as they creep up that sort of thing um but no it's, it's something i would like to get a little bit more into um I, it's, it's one of those things where i think if you stay in the box you stay in the computer and learn how to mask learn how to mix and do all that stuff you can probably apply a little bit of that knowledge to let's say if you speak to someone who's got a sound system they'll have audio converters they'll have amplifiers they'll have you know like their different speaker setups all that stuff you might be doing at home you can probably oh, apply yeah. your knowledge to a bit, but, um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm all in the box at home in the studio. That sort of where. So is
0: it pretty much like the, the same general concept of mastering at like mastering individual tunes versus doing live audio?
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm definitely not a person to ask when it comes to like how to get a good, st- <laughs> good sound live, but microphones all those things are a big part of it as well so um I think I don't know if it's just me but when I'm going out like sometimes the night is it's either like made you probably feel feel the same it's either like made or like a make or break thing whether the sound's good yeah (laughs) even if I'm going to see like a vocalist or something like nothing to do with sound system music but if it's if it's bad sound it does affect the night doesn't it
0: now, do you do you guys have, like, the same problem of like that we have here where, like, openers and stuff like that will be extremely quiet versus, like, the headliner being extremely loud uh, throughout the night? I mean, I get the whole concept of, like, you don't want the openers to be as loud as, you know, the headliners because it kind of gives you that excitement feeling when the headliner does come on and it's just straight bumping.
1: Yeah. Like,
0: it, it, do you guys – have that issue of where it's almost non-existent in sound i uh, see i see
1: yeah well do you know what I, th- I think that might be like maybe i'm speculating it might be like a festival thing rather than like a club thing because um oh but we get that in clubs really really yeah it's I, it's
0: crazy like there'll be there'll be artists that are you know, like bass artists um stuff like for instance i went to um see peekaboo for his 360 show yeah and um They had digital ethos in Dalek One, yeah, um, and and then one other person playing, but the volume was almost non-existent to where like you couldn't really hear the bass too much. It was just like you hear the sound, but it wasn't anything that was cranking out the club.
1: That's mad, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I don't, from what I've known from like clubs clubs I've been to, um, the sound system is basically cranked all night. The, the the only factor really is is if they have a sound system or not because I think um a lot of venues or a lot of promoters make the mistake of like booking all the the big DJs and stuff and they you know you have a basically five or six people in a DJ setup that could each be a headliner they're all huge artists mm-hmm. um, but the sounds just basic and I think yeah. that's, that's that's the issue it's, yeah it's not so much like the sound starts off bad and then, you know, they only like play the full sound for the headline. It's like there literally isn't any sound to start with. So I think that's, that's a yeah, bigger it's, issue. Yeah, it's
0: crazy. Uh, it's kind of like that sometimes here in the States too. Like um, they will be big artists like, like Truth or, or Bukas and, um, and they're not playing on an actual system. They're playing on like PA systems. And exactly. Stuff, which, <laughs> That music is not made for that. It's that's made for like house music and, and whatnot.
1: Yeah, like, yeah. I couldn't
0: imagine being a big artist like that and then going to like expect your music to, to like thump the club and you pull it up and you just see it like this PA system. Exactly. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. No, exactly. At that point you basically you gotta like rethink your set. You've gotta think like what tunes are gonna translate better on the like smaller speakers now. Cause I can't play Tunes that like most of it's just 30 hertz sine waves because nothing's gonna happen. So. <clears throat> so, yeah, I guess you got yeah, like so, on the um, spot rethink your, um, your like set list in it.
0: Yeah. So I know you've been, you do like mixing and mastering as well as, um, doing artist work yourself. Yeah. What, uh, what got you particularly into doing, uh, you know, mixing and mastering? Like what made you want to go to school to learn something like that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I was actually only in school like learning music, learning how to make music. I didn't really know about mixing and mastering. So it wasn't until I was making my own tunes and I was like, why does mine sound like utter shite? Like what? Well, it doesn't even, <laughs> it wasn't even in the ballpark of other people's music. So it's actually like the, the mad frustration at how bad my stuff sounded that got me to really obsess over like the difference between A and B. And um, yeah, I I think I I made the same mistake initially that I think lots of people do is that um, when you're really far away from your goal, making it really complicated to get there. So I'd add like 30 plugins. I would try and like boost, like do mad boosts and using like EQs like to add like 10 dB here and then compensating with another 10 dB in the opposite direction. Um, And I think, when the penny finally dropped and I figured it out, it wasn't that there was a mad, complicated set of things that I was missing. It was just like one or two really, really simple things that I was doing wrong. Um, and I think it's when I figured that out, that's when I was like, well, I could do this for other people. You know, like I've been going through this, through these issues for years and I've like, I figured out how to get in the right ballpark Um, Mm -hmm. like maybe I could do this for other people too because I would have loved if someone could have done it for me earlier on but yeah and then I just started basically doing it for free Um, I really wasn't good to start with and I'm still learning now but like I didn't feel like I could charge anyone at all for sure so I was just sort of hopping on Facebook begging DJs like send me your pre-masters and they would sort of give me their feedback and I would like go from there and try and learn
0: so I know you were saying that you were doing, you know, free mastering stuff, which is like super important, especially in the beginning. So you can just get your feet wet. Yeah. Were you um, only doing like bass music or were you also reaching out to other genres like rock and pop just to, you know, learn the differences between <clears> mastering <throat> um, the different styles?
1: Yeah. Well, this this is the thing, like I probably would have liked to, but I think you find that I I got into it through making a certain type of music. So all of my mates, all of my contacts made the same kind of music. Those are the people who have got mm-hmm. friendly enough to, for them to trust me with their music. So I know it was definitely just like bassy, bass music. Um,
0: is that something that you plan to do in the future? Is, is uh, start mastering You know, other genres outside of bass music?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm literally always always open to it. So if someone had sent me that, like some rock music and a rock album like three or four years ago, I would have happily mastered it. And it's the same thing today. Um, I think what, what sort of happens is you, you sort of build up traction, like a triangle, like you start from a really niche genre and like one day someone will start sending you like house music and then you sort of like more house people will hear that and say, Oh, my tunes mastered by him. So you sort of like triangulate out as it goes. Um, but yeah, I haven't really reached the realms of like rock and acoustic music so much but i'd definitely be open so to
0: like it. so like outside of like the bass music uh mastering and stuff do you feel that there's a big difference between mastering like bass music and house music
1: um i don't actually think so no not 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 too much um i think if you If you're looking at music instead of thinking about like instruments and thinking about like sub bass versus vocals, where well obviously in house music you're gonna have a very different makeup compared to like dubstep or drum and bass um, but if you start looking at music as in like where's the excitement, where's the focus um, what roles do the frequencies play um, and and you're not really that's not really different for dubstep as it is for house. Um, it's different track to track really. So, um, so yeah, if you think of, of music as like a, yeah, as, as rather where the excitement is, where the focus is, and really trying to bring the life out of music. Then I don't think it matters as much whether it's like dubstep or house or garage. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think maybe this is where like, people think that mastering is like mad complicated or it's really like there's loads of like secrets and stuff to it. But I think when you do it right, it's actually really simple and it might literally be the point of like, like we spoke the other day needs a bit more mids, you know, the hi hats are a bit too forward. So tuck them in a bit.
0: Yeah. Just slight like edits.
1: Yeah. Literally like one, one DB. And then when you do a few like one DB things, right. Then your whole track just sounds like it sits properly
0: yeah with all like the the information online nowadays do you do you feel that people actually need to go to school to learn mastering or do you feel like uh it's something that you can actually learn online nowadays like myself i'm i'm personally self-taught like yeah I'm, i'm 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 a struggling artist. I can't afford to go to, go to, to, to school to do it yeah, as yeah. much as I would love to do it. But recently, I've signed up to um, Seth Drake's um, master class on okay. you know, mixing and mastering, which Wait. is about, I think, 165 hours of,
1: wow. of lessons. Yeah, the, it's a lot. Yeah.
0: yeah, I think it's about 50 lessons, and they're all about like an hour to two hours long.
1: Mad, yeah. Um, yeah. What but, website is that on?
0: Um, I can actually send it to you. It's it's the Art Institute. It's four dollars a month. <laughs> oh so Yeah, and he's actually gonna make it free here soon because he, he just wants to get the information out of you know letting people know like how to you know make better mixes, how to make better masters, make your music translate better. Yeah, you know, which is super important because there's a lot of people that make really great music, but their mass, I mean, their mixes just suck. Like yeah it, yeah it just there's a lot of things just bleeding through and things fighting for space and i think it's really important that you know people kind of give that information out because i mean mastering and mixing isn't really a i mean yes it is an industry secret but at the same time you want people to you know sound better
1: yeah yeah so yeah i, I think um every artist needs to be treated differently and there's gonna be some artists where, like you say they they've got the tune making like on point, they're making bangers, they're making tunes that people really want to hear to listen to to have played in mixes and clubs, but the thing they need to maybe improve on is their mix downs, you know like they they would go a lot further if they improved their mix downs, but other artists don't need to focus on that at all. Maybe I fall into this like category where. I get so caught up in the mix down or in like think about how things sound that I barely get past the thought of making a good good like idea a good sound a good like
0: that's bullshit man your tunes are amazing (laughs) don't don't undersell yourself like (laughs) your your tunes are definitely some of the best tunes within the 140 scene thank you 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 just don't put up enough tunes (laughs) that's the thing like
1: you say my tunes I've got like four so like (laughs) so so yeah man like
0: for publicly
1: yeah exactly yeah like 4 million on my hard drive like mixed down version like 38 but you know um so yeah I think different people need different things and I wouldn't push this idea that mix downs are really really important because for some people the mix downs are good enough and it's more important for them to focus on like how to up their creativity how to get as many tunes out there as possible um mm-hmm to release their music, how to like make a music heard rather than just like living on your own USB and no one else's kind of thing. So see, I would also be careful about how much importance I give to mix downs and mastering and all that stuff. Um, I know some people survive very well spending like a few hours on each tune and then passing it off to a mixing engineer and then passing it off to a mastering engineer for them to worry about. And that's how they work. And I think for some people, that's a good idea. Just like, let someone else worry about it and you can just worry about the creativity part of it.
0: Yeah, because the general public doesn't really, you know, care about how good your mixer, your master is. They just care if the tune is good itself.
1: Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, you obviously don't want to let that get in the way. If your mix down gets in the way of someone enjoying it, then obviously that's an issue. Anyway. Yeah,
0: then 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 you have a problem. At yeah.
1: That yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so do you have like a specific like mastering chain or or anything like that? Do you feel like there's any um, specific you know plugins or anything like that that are really more important than the other? Like uh, <coughs> I know like limiters and compressors and you know clippers can be um, an important thing. You know EQs and stuff like that. But do you feel like there's anything that's of importance? Uh, when you're working on music, SD,
1: yeah, that's that's good. So, so as far as a mastering chain, um, you have to like first realize what what's meant by mastering chain. So, like, you might have a set number, like five or six EQs that you know how to work them. That I like I know the sound of them well, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to use all of them engaged on every tune. So what you might find is that sometimes a tune will be really like quite full and characterful in sound. And that if you add like an analogue EQ, you're gonna add a bit too much sound to it. So like a digital EQ is better just for adding like a quite a almost inaudible sound to it. Other tracks you get sound really quite like cold and clammy and just that like digital deadness to them. So adding like an, a digital EQ to them um wouldn't be right so it's like you need more like colorful analog eqs um as well actually specifics i would say plugin alliance um i've got their subscription where you just get all of their stuff and they release stuff quite regularly which is good fun mm-hmm. um i've recently gotten really like the, that
0: they have the black box h uh hg2 hg2 on there so yeah that's a great uh saturation
1: yeah too. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, people rate that really highly. I personally, I've tried to use it so many times and um, I just haven't found maybe like one in every hundred tracks. I haven't found the right use for it in terms of mastering, but I could see for like mixing. <laughs> like maybe if you had had it on your mix bus, add in some brightness, add in some colour and you were like mixing into it, I think that'd be quite, quite nice. But yeah, um, there's SPL PQ. That's been released recently on Plugin Alliance. Um, Use a Muse EQ by Alicia. That's also a nice one. These are like analog things. Um, Amec EQ 2000 or whatever it's called. Lots of like, yeah, lots of like analog EQs. Very, very nice. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of other things, I like the Filter bundle. Don't know if you have any of those, but their EQ oh, is really one. good yeah yeah <laughs> really good stuff like really clean um
0: i just love the interface of it like the ui on it's just beautiful
1: it's really clear it's, it's just so yeah.
0: E- yeah and it's so easy to read which is which is super important
1: yeah exactly um the multiband eq really handy for mastering um see I've, I've, i think with like compression and mastering like it it very very rarely Sounds right just whacking on a bus compressor on a track, you'll often find that it will like close in on frequency. So, if you put a compressor over the whole track, the highs often sound like squished down into the mix. Mm -hmm. So, if you imagine like your track in front of you with everything sort of like reaching out and sitting above the mix and like having like a nice image, a compressor can often like make things sound a bit more squeezed like that. So, um yeah, multibands really good cuz you can sort of just compress frequencies that need it. Like low end maybe like the low mids it's really good for just like holding those down and letting the heart... So
0: are you using it more for like the the multiband compressor or are you using it more to like level out the kicks in the in the bass within the mix?
1: Yeah, I mean it track to track whatever it needs. So um see so yeah, often low mids is um is something that I found multiband compression really handy for. So if you've got your low mids poking out of the mix too much, if you just EQ them out I find it sounds like there's a hole there now, like it sounds quite hollow and it makes the top end sound too bright but if you use a compressor it sort of squeezes the mids in a bit more um, and makes it a bit more chunky in the mid mid range um, and you don't get the same effect of having your highs sound too harsh now because the mid range is sort of still there but just squashed um, so yeah that's that's I mean, another thing, maybe leave it to the mastering guy not to not to just scoop out your mids all the time. It's also not yeah. going to work. But it's it's just one of those things that are like one dB of compression in that area normally sounds good. Um, yeah, an- another thing that I think people way overlook is expansion. So um, I know there's some like all-in-one plugins that Isotope does. I forgot what it's called, but it's a lot like a multi-band expander.
0: Are you talking about the, uh, like, uh, what is it? Uh, the whitener for, for ozone. Now for like, speaking of that though, do you feel that it's really needed to use uh, like the ozone, uh, whiteners and stuff like that? Like me personally, I feel like when you do use the imager for, for ozone, it
1: kind
0: like like introduces phasing issues. Yeah. Yeah. Do you use more of like an EQ to do whitening or do you use like plugins, Um, outside of that
1: to be honest i've found that basically every plugin that has a wideness knob or control i've i've found that most of the time it sounds like crap like you say um (laughs) and the phasing is is mostly like part of it and and this is a real shame because you were talking about education earlier and i think um the fact that there's these online schools where you just pay a fiver a month And you have access to all of these like very knowledgeable people. I think that's where you should be because there's so many, so much misinformation and just bad tutorials. Like there's so much bad learning you could do on the internet. Um, One of my like pet peeves is, is that exact thing. We're like, right, we're going to master this track. And they just pull up Ozone and they add like a little bit of wideness on every band And then, like a little bit of EQ on like every band, like loads of tops, loads of bass, and they do the A B comparison. Like, see, it sounds better, right? Because it just it just seems like there's more, but it's not better. Like everything's sort of been smeared, and like has now falling apart. Um, all of the drums, where they'd be like really concise and down the middle and exact, like all in phase, now just sound mushed and smeared with all the other instruments. So, um. See, so yeah, I know width, I would do a tiny bit of EQ, mid-side, um, if anything. I think adding a nice bit of top end with on the sides is a great way to just sort of give that perception of more side image. Um, but yeah, no, also in the mid-range, I think um, when people throw their effects on their reverb and their delays and throw them to the side, We like to do a lot of like high passing on those effects. So actually Mm -hmm. the side image can actually sound quite thin. So it could be a case of sometimes adding a little bit of like 800 or like 400 to the sides to really like thicken them up and add more tone. Um, So yeah, no, I I I would say that's a better way of doing mid-side processing just with a little bit of EQ.
0: So I know earlier you were speaking about the SPL. Um, through Plugin Alliance, do you have a, a SPL meter for your for your studio?
1: Yeah. Um, no, I, I, that's actually something that I really want. So I've up to this point sort of just used one on my iPhone. That's like a rough...
0: That's what I did for my studio too.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sort of like rough ballpark area. But, um, but no, I always monitor fairly low around... It's probably more like around 80. That's something I'm not quite conscious of because... Yeah, if if we creep the volume up, um, we never actually know um, how we're hearing. I'm sure you're you're what, uh, well aware of this. What,
0: what kind of speakers are you using now? These you're using the Focal's, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. See if I can um can I flip the screen? I have to see. I'm not sure I can flip the screen. Let me turn my phone on. So, see. How <laughs> these are uh, Focal solos. Um, and uh, I've got a subwoofer down here. Man, that's well. actually some nice treatment in the back. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. So this is, you, um, you put a post up on Facebook recently, didn't you, about the acoustic treatment?
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I want to upgrade it here eventually because I, I recently bought a house a couple months ago. Um, so, you know, I have nice. all my my stuff from, you know, the old place. But I feel like now, since I have my own mm. space and everything, I can kind of upgrade it a little bit more. Like I can put foam on the ceilings and you know, do a whole, uh, do my, my bass traps all the way up the wall, just versus halfway up the wall.
1: Nice. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, so I do want to upgrade. Like, I'm, I have right now, I have the Atom A77Xs. Sweet. Um, and then I do have a sub as well, too, uh, as well as the sub pack. But I only use the sub pack nowadays if I'm doing, like, mixing and stuff, just so I can make sure my low end is, is actually pushing through. <laughs> right. Um, but I do plan on upgrading this year because I want to get the barefoot at once. Okay. Um, okay. Fair. Yeah. I went to a buddy studio a couple years ago and I heard him for the first time. And but that room was also perfectly treated. And thing, uh,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was listening to it and I was like Blown away by how good the speakers sound, I was like, "Dude, I'm obsessing about these speakers. I want them so bad."
1: Yeah, and I was like
0: looking at the price, and I was like, "4K for them? Lim- okay, I have to just save up now." Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the thing, though. Like they say, like different speakers for different rooms, isn't it? Like yeah. you, you know, speakers mm-hmm. could sound amazing in one room and then not really, not so great in another. So I feel I'd like to think if I was to spend like four grand on some speakers, I'd probably demo them first
0: yep make sure your room is properly treated because that's what they're made for otherwise they're not gonna sound the way you want them to sound
1: yeah yeah but also like if you're I would say general rule of thumb if you're spending 4k on speakers you probably want to spend 4k on acoustic treatment as well do mm-hmm. you see what I mean so um so yeah it's, it's sort of like the the three factors like your speakers your audio interface and your acoustic treatment, I think don't like prioritize one way more than the other because you won't be able to appreciate the other two as much. Yeah.
0: Cause if you have a shitty interface, your speakers aren't going to sound good just because of the, the, the routing between yeah routing of sound that's going to go through it. I mean, cause it's going from your interface to your speakers. So if you got a shitty interface, it's going to, not nah, sound so great through your speakers. <laughs> yeah. Like, exactly. I couldn't imagine having a focus right with the uh, with barefoots.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, and, and like for acoustic stuff, because um, I was saying in the on the um, on the thread, like heavy stuff matters quite a lot. So the foam's good. I think the foam's good because like it's so light that you can sort of put it on whatever wall you put on your ceiling quite easily. But it's only gonna like Attenuate the top end.
0: <clears throat> so um with you actually mastering, you know, so many artists as well as labels within, you know, the 140 scene, is there like any common issues that you've run across, you know, um when you get tunes sent to you?
1: Uh that's a really good question. Um I'm having to think now. Yeah, well I think um I think maybe the most frustrating one is when you get a pre-master and this can happen for any genre. It's really not specific to like dubstep or drum and bass or anything like that. It's um, <clears throat> when you get a pre-master and you put a limiter on it just to bring it up to like a normal volume. And it just doesn't sound, and you know, the artist would agree. It just doesn't sound like it should like a finished track. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what anyone should be aiming for at least the ballpark of, is that if you just turn the level up on your pre-master, it should roughly sound how you want it. So, um, so yeah, I, th- I think that's probably the biggest issue of like, pre-masters in music in general. Um, if you're not happy with how your pre-master sounds, if it doesn't sound like in the ballpark of how you want it to... Then just don't just work on it. Just don't send it off to the mastering engineer. They won't be able to fix it for you. They won't be able to yeah. make it sound sick. Um, they'll make it be able to make yeah, it sound
0: Mastering, we're not we're not fixing things. We're just trying to make it sound good.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, you can only really do like one or two dB in mastering. So if if things are like really off. Um, it's going to sound weird if the mastering engineer tries to adjust the mix. It's going to sound really strange and just not right at all. So so yeah, I, th- I think maybe advice, if anything, like before you send your pre-master off to your mastering engineer, use a limiter to turn it up to like, let's say like minus eight, minus nine, um, RMS or like LUFS and just play other tracks like export it like do a dj mix blend it into like some other music some like release on your favorite labels play your track next and see does it just sit right does it not does it hold up does it not um yeah chances are it won't sound as polished and as amazing as the the label release that you like so much but that's fine like a master engineer can do that bit but is it even in the right ballpark um Mm -hmm. something definitely to yeah check
0: so when like when you approach to mastering um do you use reference tracks or do you have like uh any engineers out there that you personally you know look up to that you um tracks off of
1: yeah fully so um so when i am mastering, generally i'm i'm actually just focusing on the track so I think the issue is if you reference a bit too much you can, you know, tracks are made of entirely different components one track might be made of like nothing more than some drums, a bass and some like ambient sounds but like another track might have like a vocal like in your face, loads of pads and synths and stuff, you're not going to be able to make one sound close to the other so you have to remember you're not there to make them sound, or to make them compete. Exactly, you're there to, um, to, yeah, make the track sound best in itself. So I guess when you're referencing, don't get lost in that. But I do have a big playlist on title, from, you know, mastering engineers like Bo Thomas, um, Lewis at Star Delta, uh, Jason from Transition Mastering, the guys at Metropolis Mastering as well in London. That's more like for the pop stuff Um, and streaky as well. He's mastered some of my stuff in the past. Also does lots of like um, teaching online. See, I just have a playlist of like well mixed and mastered stuff Mm -hmm. that when I go into the studio in the morning, I'll like listen through it. Tunes I've heard hundreds of times like sick to death of, but I just know where they should sit. And that's the process of sort of getting my ears ready for the day, getting like tuned, when they all sound right to me, then I know I'm right to go ahead with mastering. Um, and then when I'm in the box mastering, I'm generally just thinking about that track and how to get the best out of that track. And I'm not too worried about, um, Dick measuring, I guess, for lack of better words, <laughs> like another track. Because I think yeah, if you get too much into that, you're just gonna you're just gonna try too hard and mash up the track, and and it's gonna sound too different from how the artist intended it to so see it.
0: yeah like like me personally i have a um i got about i think eight different playlists on my um on my itunes yeah you know especially since itunes has you know loose leaf um audio and Mm -hmm. um i have different genres though so like because i want to get like we were talking about earlier about doing you know pop and rock and stuff like that i have different genres of some of the you know the top pop songs that are you know some of the best mastered pop songs and rock songs as well, just so I can get uh, my ears kind of like adjusted to what you know it, it should sound because I do want to get my hands into like doing other genres outside of just bass music. Yeah, do you do you listen to um, the masters in like you know the car and your headphones and stuff like that before you start mastering as well too, just to get a general idea of how it's going to translate on different speakers?
1: yeah well this this is like a really common thing for like mixing in that if you live with a tune that you've sort of maybe been a part of recording or like laying down the beats and the stuff and the instruments and now you're getting into the mixing phase you might do the old like car speaker tests you might play it on a night or like on a radio show with your usb and see how it sounds on those speakers and mixes and different contexts but in mastering like the whole point of setting your studio up like this is so that it's it's giving you the image of the finished track. Um, we're not really dealing with the mixing of the instruments and stuff. Like it's, it should already be in a fairly finished state. So these speakers, the sub and the room is everything is designed to translate as well as possible. Mm-hmm. And we're really focusing on like Itself to hear the details and stuff in a way that listening in the car won't really give you that sort of finished image as much. Um, Yeah, I think lots of the debates that go on in the mastering world, not by pro mastering engineers, but for people who are like wanting to like to know how mastering is done, is you know lots of questions float about about um, you know do you when you're mastering a track. Will you make decisions to make sure that it sounds better on radio, for example, or that it sounds better on like ear pods and things that everyone's listening to music on. Um, But I think that really goes against what mastering is like mastering a track should just be getting the best sound out of that track. There's only one version of the best sound out of the track. Um, Yeah. You shouldn't be making a track sound worse so that it doesn't sound as bad on bad speakers. That doesn't make sense. Like, you're making the track sound as good as possible. Um, it will still sound good on small speakers. Like, that's just how it is. Um, so, yeah, maybe... So what,
0: do you, what do you feel is, the, like, the importance of that, uh, you know, with the general public, mostly listening to stuff on, like, earpods? Because when I see people walking around, it's probably, like, 90% of people are, are listening to music on earpods
1: nowadays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've you know, I've, I've never been... I don't know what you would do to make music sound amazing on AirPods because I've never put my AirPods in and gone, holy shit, this, this tune sounds insane.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, sounds
1: like crap on my speakers, in my studio at home. It sounds really shit on a sound system, but for some reason on my AirPods, it sounds mental. Like it just doesn't really happen, does it? Generally, I found, um, the music that sounds better in my home studio sounds a bit better on my AirPods as well. You know, like, it's it's just the way it is, but it just sounds a bit smaller, and it's, like, in my ear holes. Um, so, yeah, I I've, think I've, I've that's the way it is. It, equally, if your tune sounds really kind of crappy and muddy um, on your studio speakers, you'll probably be able to hear that on your earpods as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah... Um, yeah, I don't know how much of a difference it makes for for mastering exactly. Maybe in the tunes that people make, or like the ideas people come up with, like TikTok, I guess, an example of that. Because a lot of people are like listening to, they'll only hear TikTok tunes on their phone. You'll never hear a TikTok yeah, tune. It's only their...
0: like thirty seconds anyway.
1: Exactly. Yeah, you'll never hear it on your studio speakers, so you're probably not going to care what it sounds like on there. Mm-hmm. So, I guess from like a creative musician point of view. Maybe the ideas you come up with are different if you're making it for TikTok versus if you're making it for a sound system. But in terms now, you of do, but you, yeah, now you also do,
0: but um, you you also do digital and vinyl mastering. What, yeah. what is what's the difference between you know approaching the two? Because I know it is a, a big difference between doing digital mastering and vinyl mastering.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, <clears throat> so that that really came from some of the labels I was working with. Um they liked the sound of like they wanted to use me as a mastering engineer, but they also wanted it to go on vinyl. Um, and yeah, I mean some of the music that people can make nowadays wouldn't have been able to make 30, 40 years ago with the limitations of vinyl. Um, you could maybe push quite a lot of high end, for example, or have some really cool like stereo bass effects that if I was mastering for digital, you could leave those in and say, look, that's a creative thing. Um if you want your stereo base, um won't always work, but sometimes it it would sound rubbish without it, like the artist has put it there. Um or just like really abrasive top end. Some people want that left in. And I think for digital mastering that's fair. But when you're mastering for vinyl, there's physical limitations. For the top end, um you're the record is being cut by a physical needle, which needs to move back and forth, you know, 15, 20,000 times a second to cut those frequencies. And if it's cutting those frequencies for too long, it's literally going to overheat and distort the disc. Um, So, yeah, I I think when people send their music off to these like cutting plants to be sort of cut on an industrial level, um, they're putting it into the hands of people who might not put as much attention onto it as, I might hear in my studio. They might just like, if the high end's too much, they might just stick on a filter, cut it out. If the bass is too stereo, cut the bass and do it in a sort of haphazard way. Um, so yeah, it was it was sort of just to, to prepare artists who weren't really used to vinyl limitations to have their music cut properly when they send it off to the pressing plant.
0: Yeah, I know... Um... We we still participate in unfortunately we, we still participate in the loudness war yeah um do you like what 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 loves do you you know typically aim for you know digital and and vinyl
1: yeah well there's um there's so much talk about this that it's it's kind of hard for me to say like where which side of the of the war I'm on um because there's you know there's there's loads of talk that sort of annoys me that like that you'd master a track for the sake of reaching a certain level, and I think um, that's already an issue because then you're you're mastering or you're mixing with your eyes, which is never going to work. I think there's when you get sent a pre-master, what you'd often first notice is like with a dubstep or like a drum and bass tune, garage tune, for example. A pre-master doesn't sound as together. It sounds a bit open and sparse. I'm mean, not used to hearing club music in that way. So when you limit sounds, like you limit a track, you kind of give it that beefy thickness that we're just used to it. That's how we're used to it sitting. Um, some people would say something like Spotify wants you to master to minus 14 Lufs. If you go above that. Then your track's going to be brought down and normalized um, for playback, and because you've limited it more, then it's going to sound like crap and bloody bloody blah. So all these people, these sort of like amateur like mastering people, are like, yeah, minus fourteen Lufs. If you go higher than that, you're stupid, blah blah blah. But um, but no, no one does that. Everyone, um, all the good mastering engineers that you could name from any studio. Um, master loud because it's it's just the way that it sounds it's the way that the artist intended their music to sound yeah yeah but the the only
0: ones that's really compressing it like that really is like uh, social media sites like TikTok and Instagram and and things like that I mean Mm. Spotify it does you know bring it down a little bit but it doesn't bring it down uh, enough to where it's going to affect the audio like for me for instance when I master I always uh, master at you know negative 1 dB you know, just to uh,
1: kind of compensate see that. for that. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you no, know, there's lots to talk about levels, but like, um yeah, obviously, on the other end, um, talking about trying to get it as loud as possible, I think is another issue. Um, mm-hmm. Because you want your track to sound, you should be able to take the limiters off, and your track should sound balanced. And that's it. at the end of the day. The limiter is just bringing it up to, like you're bringing your balance track up to the right level. That's what the limiter is really there for. Um, things that people will so do. So you find it's
0: very important to do uh, gain matching uh, when you're when you're mastering. <clears throat>
1: um. Yes, I know. Uh, like that's that's another thing that I think people maybe go a little bit overboard with is making sure that it's minus 7.1 and not minus 7 for example when they turn their eq on and off and i Mm -hmm. think it's not really how audio works you need to be thinking about like if i add this eq does it suddenly sound thicker does it take off that edge that i didn't like before you're just thinking about like those things if you're staring at the volume meter to see if it's like 0.1 of a db louder and you need to worry about if you're just enjoying because of that i think you're a bit too like like eyes in and focus at that point, you need to just sit back and think what, what is it doing to the sound? Um, yeah, don't be like decibel chasing the whole time, I think. But at the same time, when I'm mastering, I always like A and B between the original. So I'll have the, the track I'm mastering on up here, the one I'm like doing the effects to here and just below it will be the original. Um, And the original goes through the exact same limiters as the one that I'm processing, so it gets brought up to the same level. Um, So that's how I do my volume matching, Um, and I'm constantly going between the top and bottom track to see what I'm doing. Um, It's really important to like remember what the artist had, like where they were at, and to make sure that everything you've done is better and not compromising something that was in the original that you've lost
0: yeah and so i know you do like mixing and mastering for artists as well do you, what do you feel is the importance of like um sending in a mix like when not, not outside of just sending a pre-master i know you know pre-masters there's certain things that you know we want to hear and look for as well but mm. outside of that doing like stem masters um what is was something that you you know look for and also uh the importance of you know, sending a, uh, a mix to actually be done properly with stems. Yeah. Do you feel it's important that the artist should be in the room with you or um, just to keep their general idea of how the, the tune should sound or, you know, outside, you know, just, just sending it in itself?
1: Yeah. So I'd say like with Master if someone just sends me their pre-master as a stereo file, um, half the time they sort of send it and don't say anything at all. They sort of just send it, do your thing. I don't know um other times they might just like say oh yeah like been struggling with the low end um i want to keep it dirty or they'll just add like a little bit of like a here's what i'm going for message um when it comes to mixing uh that it had be like we have like a whole conversation about the project about what their goals are because it could be the case like where your track might change by 10, 15% in mastering in mixing, um, your end product could be totally different to what went in. Um, and I need to gauge so many things like, um, do you want me to change much? Can I add my own creative effects? Um, can I replace your drums if I need to, those sorts of things. Um, when it's a full, like a full mixing session, it's a lot more creative in a lot of ways, it's a lot more fun. Um, and it will also consist of like me sending upwards of like 10 versions back to the person, um, just as like snapshots of where I'm going. Like, oh, I did the drums like just now. Um, I've added these effects and I've added this part and cut out that part. What do you think? And so I'm getting them involved with the whole process as the changes are happening. Um, not something that you do for mastering as much yeah
0: so when you approach mixing and stuff do you look at the 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 whole track as a fool or are you just kind of working on the the main stuff that is actually going to shine through the tune that's actually bringing life to the tunes versus mm. like the background stuff but um you know things that are just generally carrying things out like versus uh, like i know artists was saying you know about Five to maybe 80, you know, um, channels within a, within a mix session. Are you breaking it down, you know, from that big amount to maybe like four or five, you know, different parts?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think the first thing I would do is, is all the boring, like labeling of the tracks and stuff like that, and then sorting them into groups. So if I hear, if I hear something as a percussion or like a drum, I'll put that all in the drum like section um same with like pads like musical parts um simps i'll put into one section and bass normally in one section yeah i think that does sort of help your brain break into smaller chunks to deal with um, but yeah and, and in the early stage as well i would i would definitely see if the artists if they have like their bounce of the song just like as an everything like a stereo bounce of the the mix that they had like the demo mix um it just helps you understand like the genre like what what actually is this music um because mixdown can define genre you know um yeah so so yeah it's it's just really listening to what they're going for not just me going in with my idea and saying like this is what I think this track should be it is going, well, what, what are you actually trying to achieve? What is the genre? What's the mood? Um, and then trying to work with that.
0: So when doing things like that, how, how many things do you, do you feel the brain can actually, you know, do at one time? Cause I know it, it can't comprehend, you know, 40 different things at once, you know, you yeah. really only comprehend like four things at one time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, being aware of your limitations, I think, very key for doing anything to do with audio. Um, I think as soon as you think you're sick, as soon as you think you've got it nailed and it's easy, and oh yeah, I'll just add 15 dB to that because that sounds fucking amazing on my speakers and there's no way, you know, as, as I think if you're listening to your reference tracks and you're like, oh yeah, my mix trumps all of these, way more bass in my tune, way more like tops in my tune, it sounds so much more open. If you're in that mindset, I think you need to like take a step back um, and assess your choices for sure. Um,
0: Speaking of referencing mixes, do you do you typically bring down you know the the reference track to the same level of the track that you're mixing so that you can kind of get like more of a general idea of like like for instance when I when I do mixing and stuff, sometimes I will find a really good you know popular tune that I know. That goes off and try to level match the kicks first, you know just to see you know how everything sounds together, and then uh, you know go back and forth to make sure that the levels are the, the are actually the same okay for starting to
1: work okay fair um I think maybe I'll be more likely to bring up the level of the track I'm working on, so I won't mix into a limiter the whole time, um but I'll have a limiter on the master output ready to like in bypassed, ready to turn on. So that when I'm doing that sort of like reference against another track, I will have them like my track limited to the same level. Um, If your tracks quiet and has loads of headroom to play with and you're referencing your reference track, you just bring down a level to match it. The problem is a reference track is mastered and it's all squished into its ceiling. Whereas you've got this like big dynamic range to play with. So you're not going to have that exact same experience. Um, So yeah, this, I think this is, it depends how you level match. So yeah, if, if your reference, if your reference is a limited track, then you should limit your track as well. When you level match. Do you see what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of going into a limiter, do you, when you produce, do you produce into a limiter? Just to, you know how it's going to sound. I you think, know, yes, and
1: it's, it's a bad habit, I think, and I'm, tr- I'm trying to sort of break that habit. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, it, if you look at the whole thing, I think that, like, when I'm producing, I'm creating music, um, mm-hmm. the mixing, the mastering brain tries to turn off. I'm just making weird sounds and I'm trying to make groovy beats. And that's the thing that I'm trying to, like, focus on. It's, I sort of tell myself off as soon as I put a, a limiter on. And I start doing a bit of a master on the mix bus and trying to make it sound sweet and stuff. But I've only got like four bars of music. Um, I think you need to do a bit of a sanity check and think, why am I spending like an hour trying to make this sound amazing when I've barely got anything written down? So see so yeah. So what's your
0: what's your approach to uh to production, you know, outside of uh mastering and, and mixing? Because like I said before, like you have some of the best. Dubstep tunes, you know, actually out there in my, in my personal opinion, you know, not, not trying to, not trying to blow up your ego or anything, but it's, it's, it's definitely really good. I mean, uh, that show reel that you put out, you know, a couple years ago yeah. was outrageous, but even though none of the tracks have come out, but you know, at least we, we got to hear what's going on in your studio. <laughs> So, uh, when, like, how do how do you approach production? You know, outside um, separating the two.
1: Um, um, a bit chaotically, I think. Like, uh, uh, I think maybe, um, one thing I I try to keep the same each time is I'll try and find like a cool sound, and sometimes the cool sound would be, like, even like a hi hat that's just got like a really cool, like reverb on it, which doesn't sound like any other hi hat. And I think when you have a sound that makes you go, Oh, like literally never heard that before. What is that? Then that's enough to build a tune around. Mm -hmm. Um, see a lot of my tunes will come out from something like that. It could be mid bass as well. I could just be sat there on massive, like turning knobs, no idea what i'm doing just turning stuff until something weird happens and i'm like that's a really strange sound and like that might only appear like a few times in the whole tune but it's it's that sound that's like the hook that's a sort of memorable like yeah that's driving the song yeah yeah that's what that song is everything else is just the same old drums the same old sub and hi-hat pattern that you put on the tune but it's that that sound which is the focus so yeah i think um yeah i'll just try and find like cool like unique sounding things yeah what are you in uh logic logic
0: okay i've tried to use logic before and i cannot get it for the life of me. There's just so many extra, extra steps that you have to do versus Ableton. Yeah, that, yeah. And, and, and like, I've tried it and I'm like, God damn, I hate this so much.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't... <laughs> What's think, your uh, preferred synth? I wouldn't say, like, it's a logical transfer. If you know Ableton and Ableton works for you, then there's no... I don't know if there's any need to go to Logic, but, um but yeah maybe like you could say Ableton's really laid out for like being creative and being like just quickly whacking things on and making quick adjustments um, mm-hmm. Logic looks a little bit more like you would import audio files maybe and I know that some people like to maybe use like FL or Ableton and then export and do a mix down in Logic, that's something I hear sometimes as well but um oh. But yeah, I was, yeah, I've just used the, the program for like almost ten years now, so it's just what I know, isn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I tried to do Logic at <clears> first because <throat> somebody gave it to me for free, and I was like, I was playing around with it. I'm like, I could not get the hang of this. <laughs> as soon as I got my hands on Ableton, I was like, okay, I like this interface. It's nice and smooth. Yeah. Like I can, I can work around this real quick. Yeah, it makes my, you feel like up again, doesn't really it? Fast.
1: Like yes, yes, yeah. Like starting in a new door makes you feel like you just don't. I don't know anything now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, like when I used to try to watch tutorials and stuff. Me working in Ableton and people were working in like Logic or FL. Mm. I'd be watching and i'm like, "What the fuck are they doing?" <laughs> not, like I, yeah. <laughs> like I, I get the I get the general concept of what's going on, but like I can't get around the the interface because I don't know what I'm looking at.
1: at yeah, all. yeah. <laughs>
0: So did you like um, did you teach yourself um you know music production outside of school? I know you were saying that you went to school generally for music production yeah um, do, do you feel that it is necessary you know nowadays to go to school to learn music production?
1: Uh, no, not at all um, so the only so the reason I went is that i was I was a teenager and um I, I did a bit of music in school and it was always like a DOS subject. But, um, but yeah, when I went off, we sort of pick your subjects at the end of school. I know it's a bit different in America, but um, there's different levels and I sort of picked subjects and I heard that the people who did music production got to make dubstep. And I was like, hmm. wait, what? Like I want to do music. So I did it next year. Um, and obviously by then the syllabus had changed. So we we're making trance instead, which is a bit of a... You know, it's a little bit different to what I wanted, but, um, but yeah, I got into it that way. Um, and yeah, I was young, so I just went all out. It wasn't just at school that I was doing it. It was when I went home. Um, I didn't have a laptop, but I stopped, like, you know, like I would Nick, my dad's laptop when he wasn't using it, plug it into his hi-fi. I was using like a crack version of FL studio at the time. Um, <laughs> how to make a filthy dubstep wobble kind of thing um yeah when I got my first laptop I literally just sat there at home um and I would just have you know massive you can open as like a standalone synth yeah you don't have to yeah so I would just sit there and stand alone massive making like the mentalist like sound I could make click and save and then start a new and then just make another sound so um And then, yeah, it got to the point, obviously, I could just open Logic and then I'd have a whole list of like bass sounds I could kind of choose from and like go from there. Um, And, yeah, I wouldn't say self-taught at all. But I think if if you're a a young person now or if you're old or whatever and you're wanting to learn music, you don't have to go to uni. You don't have to go to college or school to learn it. Um, I was just the right sort of age where I didn't know what other subjects I would do.
0: Um, and was that like a, a, a college curriculum or was that um, like an individual institute that you went to learn
1: music? Well, I sort of did both. So I did college first because, um, yeah, in the UK, you do college and then uni. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, see, so yeah, I did college first in music tech, then went to uni um, it's called ACM Academy of Contemporary Music. And uh, yeah, um, that was a very specific electronic music production course and i thought it was wicked personally i know it's not for everyone that not everyone um liked studying music at college at uni um i loved it i was such a nerd showed up like every day um yeah and they they you know they taught you things like how to listen how to like hear frequencies um also just how to like mash up sounds in logic and have fun how to use distortions, all those things. Um, so yeah, no, it's good. But I'm, I'm also aware that like, like you say, that course that you've started, that you're going to start for a five or a month. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mixed with the masters as well.
0: Yeah. See, I started doing everything off offline. Like when I first started making music, I um, did the, uh, the Mr. Bill tunes tutorial. Uh, Cause okay. he has a whole website and Mr. Bill is a, a, a genius and in Ableton, like he will show you everything from scratch to finish. You know, X. which a. is which is really important in a, in a lot of tutorials, in my opinion. Because for instance, like YouTube tutorials, they really only show you the general idea, like how to make a sound and uh, how to just make certain things. Versus artists showing you how to you know arrange tunes and actually finish tunes. Yeah. There's a lot of artists that <clears throat> know how to make good stuff but they don't know how to finish it
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: did you um so before you went to school and everything to like learn music production did you have a background in music before that
1: yeah i guess so i um i played the fucking recorder (laughs) in school just like every other kid does um but i also like play drums is that
0: mandatory at, at you guys at school
1: it is yeah to play it really really badly and as loudly as possible what uh
0: what
1: grade is that well recorder
0: uh, yeah like that you have to learn oh like, for instance oh when i was younger. Oh, see
1: we would have been like um, probably like from five years old five six oh, years wow. old we have a recorder in our mouth yeah so i real yeah i feel really bad for anyone working in schools <laughs> uh, yeah played a bit of drums as well when i was like eight or nine that didn't last too long um guitar as well did some acoustic guitar um with the hopes of yeah i guess back in back then when i was like 13 14 i thought i was gonna be like a session guitarist um yeah yeah very um glad it didn't turn out that way wouldn't have been very good
0: yeah back in the uh Back in Michigan, it was actually mandatory for you to learn an instrument Uh, in third grade. So we had to, um, I learned violin back in third grade. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah. And then afterwards, you know, fourth and fifth grade, we had to learn a language. So fourth grade, we learned Spanish and then fifth grade, we learned French. (laughs) And uh, yeah. And what's crazy is this is a public school in the hood yeah like private schools didn't even have this when I moved to a nicer state, which was which was pretty wild to me, yeah um, yeah, and I played sports growing up, so music was a whole different thing for me, even though I grew up around a very musical family, like my grandma's a very famous um harpist um okay. and yeah, and so like they tried to teach me instruments and stuff like that, but I was never really interested you know i I played Four different sports at one time. Okay. And then I got injured, and like music was always a really big love to me. So it was something that I wanted to learn. Yeah. And
1: uh, it's like so it's in the blood.
0: Hours, yeah. Yeah. So I spent hours just, you know, learning it. Cause I did, <clears> I did DJing for about, I think, six years, six years before I started producing. Okay. So, but. Yeah. Like, um, <clears throat> Do you, do you play like a lot of shows or anything? You know, out where you live at or anything?
1: Nah, you, not at all. Know? I'm such a hermit when it comes to that sort of thing. Um, like, I'm aware that there's a lot of um, a lot of work needs to go into um, promoting yourself. Like, you know, getting mixes out there, getting in touch with promoters, local promoters and stuff. Um, that's a skill I need to exercise. But I'm all for. I think of all the things I do in music in general. Um, the most exciting so
0: you're, you're more of a quiet person than a.
1: yeah than for that, sure uh, yeah uh, yeah but on the, 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 the most fun thing is when you get to play your tunes out to people that's like the most fun of all like yeah better than seeing
0: that crowd reaction
1: yeah 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 just yeah um but i play on my local radio show um my mate cleary he's called a kama he's got a radio show like a weekly radio show he'll invite me down to sometimes so yeah i guess play on the radio but um but yeah i want to get myself on more nights out
0: now is that is that like uh any uh, internet radio station or is that like a local radio station
1: yeah it's like internet radio yeah.
0: yeah okay do y'all have like dubstep and stuff like that on your local radio stations
1: yeah yeah again brian's really good for that um yeah, I'll just tune into my like to a random Brighton station on um on a weekday night and they'll be playing deep medi or, you know, Komodo tune. That's fire. Yeah, man, it's really good. If not that, then maybe some reggae, some drum and bass. Yeah, no, it's it Brighton's really good. Um, very lively. If you go out for like a nighttime beach walk, there'll be people sort of juggling fire, playing drum and bass and EDM, so oh
0: that's yeah. that's yeah <laughs> nice. i like that yeah yeah you um so you having a previous background in like drums and guitar and the recorder
1: do yeah you feel
0: that <laughs> do you feel um do you know music theory
1: uh no no like i think there's a big um a big monopoly on music theory where um we're sort of taught to sort of bow down to these gods of the past kind of thing of these like fucking Beethoven and Mozart people who are, they're like the creme de la creme of who we should aspire to be. Um,
0: funny that you say that though. Like um, like I was saying with my grandma, how she's a harpist. It's yeah. funny when we have family dinners and we'll talk about music as I do music production and she does classical music. Yeah. My granddad would always be like, so do you know music theory? Yeah, <laughs> uh, like it was like well if you don't know music theory you, do you do you actually know music it is like it's two yeah. different styles of music
1: <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah um no it can be really hard for people to adjust to new styles of music new ways of hearing music um but but yeah i think maybe we'll find that too you know we yeah, we look at the past and we think they're not catching up, but it's it's going to be us someday as well. Yeah. You know, we we're, we're building like our our idea of what music is and what it how it rewards us. And I think in like 40 or 50 years time the music that's being made um I don't know we have to try not to get left behind and work out how to enjoy it. Yeah. Much yeah, worth.
0: within the uh within the EDM scene do you feel that music theory is a necessity to actually you learn or is that something that someone could learn to make music without really learning, you know, any of the basics of music theory?
1: Oh, geez. I think, um, if anything, music theory could be a little bit of a, um, what do you call it? Like a, a hindering factor. Um, there's, there's like a big like realm of music that I'm sort of cutting myself <laughs> off from by not learning proper music theory. Like I'm limiting myself in a lot of ways by not learning music theory properly. But um, I think if we sort of, you know, put everyone in schools and make them learn up to a certain point and then beyond that and make them really study like the history of music theory and all of the detailed like nooks and crannies of it, it's going to be really, really hard in that situation um, to have as much creativity and as much divergence if you get a group of people where some of them go really in-depth music theory and some of them just start mashing buttons you're going to get a bigger scope of creativity in music so i think it's i wouldn't stop people from learning music theory i wouldn't discourage them if they're into it but um i wouldn't force it on someone who doesn't want to learn it either because um yeah it's not as it's not as important as just creating and like finishing something and like just and making having something. fun. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So but like um with you having to actually learn music in school at a young age, do you, do you guys still offer that um where you live, you know, to teach new musicians? Like I know for instance in the States, you know, art programs are usually the first to go when budget cuts come. Is yeah. that yeah, that's, over there as well
1: yeah it's really sad actually um a lot of schools these days like a uh, secondary school which would be like between the age of like 11 till 16 or 11 to 18 that sort of age group um they're actually like cutting music from the syllabus altogether in some places not all schools um which i think that is a real shame i think that's a real shame um I think they should maybe cut fucking, uh, what's he called? Shakespeare. <laughs> More.
0: <laughs> yeah. like, too
1: much time. Like, obviously, English as a subject is really important, but Shakespeare is way overtaught, I think. I worked in a secondary school for like a few years, and there were so many students in there that were like, English was their second language. They were quite struggling to get to grips to it, with it. And I'd spend about four hours a week learning Shakespearean English and Shakespearean poems and stuff. And I'm just like, this is pointless. So, pointless. <laughs> so, so
0: unnecessary.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's other things that you can cut and they can reduce. I think don't take music away. Um, it's crap. <laughs> you know? So you
0: were saying that you were doing teaching. Were you doing, uh, teaching on like, um, uh, on production, or or mastering, or mixing, or anything like that.
1: Well, I was working in a, in a school, but um, as like a learning assistant. So it's basically okay. where like you know like kids have like additional needs to support them in classrooms. So um so yeah, I would have to like support kids with maths and English and things I'm clueless at. But every now and then we would get like a music lesson, and they would. They're lucky in a way because they all have logic on their computers. So by the time they're like 11, 12 years old, they're able to use like Logic Pro, um, Mm. which I didn't have, but you know, they're lucky to have that. But um, So yeah, there were some lessons every now and then where I got to like step in and be like, right, this is where I actually know my stuff. Um, And you know what? That ties back to your music theory question because there were some kids, 12, 13 years old, like I'm barely like, understand logic enough to open the piano roll and like put some notes in and they put like a drum loop in and they start just vibes in some random notes in to make a bass line or something put like an 808 on it and the beats are mad they make they make like some genuinely really good stuff that's like it's too chaotic and it's too random any music theory teacher would teach you no that's a wrong note whatever but it kind of just works because they're just thinking like they're just using their ears, putting notes there and yeah. saying oh that's a thing I'm going to loop it and it's more chaotic, but it's good shit man, it's good shit.
0: So with the the younger generation having more access to to things like that versus when we were younger, um, you know, mm. basically really all electronics, do you feel like they can learn a little bit easier than a lot of adults can just because they they have that In front of them at such an early age,
1: yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it could be, um, because yeah, I I think when you're younger, you're more you're generally more creative, aren't you? They say you, um, you pick up on languages quicker, and I think maybe we just haven't found out because it's it's always the same story as like you and me, where like grew up playing instruments, and then when I was a late teenager or when I was like in adulthood. I picked up production, which, you know, for like a language or something, that'd be really late. So maybe it'd be interesting to see what would happen to like someone who's been producing music since they were five on their like dad's computer or something. You know, I think that's something we haven't really tested enough, have we? Like many, many people have playing violin since a kid or playing piano since a kid, but Mm -hmm. very like few kids who have grown up producing music.
0: Yeah, and piano gives you very good muscle memory, you know, at a at a young age. Uh when I was before I moved out here, I actually used to um build grand pianos um like oh, wow. scratch back in Florida. No way. No. And um, yeah, and a lot of times there'd be a lot of younger kids coming in there. Um they would come in and just slay the piano. Like right. first time just touching it. And then like it would blow my mind. Like I, I could sit here and I can build this piano. But I can't play it for shit. Yeah. But like these kids come in and they're just like, I'm just like mind blowing by how like how they retain all this information, you know.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. To
0: actually play the piano like that.
1: I know. Yeah, man. I think like what we're capable of versus what we do. Yeah, makes you think of all the missed opportunities, maybe. But um, Do you feel like the, you? Do you wish you got into it earlier? Um. I don't know, man. I think maybe, but like I got into it early enough, but I feel like you could think this in five years time, you could look back at this time now and think, man, I just wish I was doing more then. So Mm -hmm. probably better to look at it that way. Like this is, this is the past for your future self. (laughs) So yeah, I guess don't try not to have regrets. Just do as much as you can.
0: So do you have any like future projects or anything coming up, you know, within the uh, rumble project?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I've got, um, I've got my label now, um, physical sounds, or just physical. Um, and I'm, Oh, nice. When'd you start that? So that was started, uh, start of this year. Um, I think in February, uh, I did my first release, um, just two tunes released digitally, sort of as like a, just making a place where I can upload my music. Um, you know, we've got so many issues nowadays with labels and the sort of uh, the delay of like making vinyls, basically of, um, of actually making records that's pushing releases back like years past Mm and say, been like ready. So, you know, I'm sure you're victim to this (laughs) as well when it comes to releasing music that it just doesn't happen for years.
0: Yeah. I had to cancel a couple of releases just because of, um, labels were sitting on them for so long and um uh, i would keep reaching out you know trying to get you know some sort of update on when these these tunes would be released and yeah. they'd just be like yeah soon or wouldn't hear back at all and eventually you just end up canceling the release and then yeah. you're sitting on the song for like five years
1: jesus yeah that's really different. yeah yeah i think maybe the way that music is these days um I don't know if you find this, but there's like so much good music in general. It is that it's,
0: it's ridiculous. That I
1: think if you're making tunes a few years behind, you're almost not catching up. Or it's, you can maybe see it that those tunes have missed out on two years of life and actually like doing rounds and
0: being heard. Or they might not represent your sound that you're you know doing nowadays.
1: But yeah. Yeah um yeah things change quickly so see, yeah for for lots of reasons i just want to have that freedom that when i've got a tune i'm happy with and i want it to be out i don't want to have to go through almost like a job interview process of like applying to labels and waiting for responses getting rejected all of that stuff Mm -hmm. Um, even when you do get accepted you have to wait for years and wait for them to get the artwork ready and the masters and all that stuff that um yeah if i just do it myself get over and done with quicker
0: So when you were sending tunes out to labels, were you were you actually like reaching out to labels to um, try to get on on there? Or were you just like posting tunes like me, for instance, I I typically just post tunes online. Like I post a shit ton on SoundCloud just because of the simple fact that I I make so much music. I, I probably make around maybe 10, about 5, 10, 15 tunes a month. Yeah. Um, just because my my workflow is really fast, so I just post them online, and a lot of times, you know, people will reach out, or if I send them to an artist itself, and they play it, and then the label will reach out from there. Um, do you feel it's important to send stuff out to labels uh, these days, or
1: uh, also a lot of people are doing
0: more self releases as well?
1: Yeah. Do you, do you... Yeah. I think yeah. where like maybe back in the day, you might aspire for like a a big like major label whatever Um, and then kind of came the age of the independent labels where just like that's sort of where it's happening I think we might be getting closer to the period where like self-releasing music is is like more of a normal thing rather than an afterthought Um, you know even bigger artists are starting to do that bigger artists who have released on big labels um, sometimes put out their own stuff Maybe for the sake because you know you're going to get paid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's yeah, it's it's quite a shame. I would obviously make exceptions for you know labels like Juan um, Forty, for example, who put a lot of time into making more than just a download on the website. You know, they've got merch to go with their releases. They've got really cool artwork, some animations, a mm-hmm. little comic strip to go with it. I think that's really cool. Things like that. Um, yeah, Juan Furno's doing a really good job of that. Yeah, like you you can't do that yourself. You can't just, you can't sit at home and put something on Bandcamp and have that same, you know, like something you can hold in your hand. Yeah. Um, but other than that, a lot of labels are sort of just these like online presents. They might have some followers or something, but they sort of just post your tune on their website and then take forty percent. And yeah, I don't know, just not pay you, or just not pay you. <laughs> not pay
0: you. <laughs> yeah, because I've I've had that a couple times now. Oh, no, no. I
1: haven't. Yeah,
0: yeah, I've like put up releases and like I gotta basically beg the the label for me to get paid, and I'm just like, fuck this, man! I'll just I'll put the tunes up on Bandcamp myself, and then you know, yeah, or like only work with reputable labels that I know will will pay me. Like yeah. nowadays, I've started doing a lot of vinyl releases because of the simple fact that I know I will be paid for those vinyl
1: releases. Yeah, <laughs> like I
0: don't have to worry about digital sales. Exactly,
1: exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but that's the thing is, so that we of we got a know who, topic there. Yeah, no, no. But I was I was gonna say people know who those labels are. They know like they know which ones are the reputable ones, which ones are gonna like take it seriously. Um, yeah, and for that reason, those labels are in really high demand. Um, so yeah, if you can't beat them, um, start your own label. Fuck it.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. So back on topic, what we were speaking of before. So what's um. What's in the future for for Rumble?
1: Um, Future for Rumble. I think my future looks a lot more like um, my present because I'm happy where I am. Like, I've got a nice studio, come home each day, make beats, master people's music, and that's what I like doing. So, best I could hope for is that my future at least stays like this. Um, Yeah. And I can keep it. So, you're going to be using
0: the. Are you going to be using the label more for um, your general releases? Or are you going to also be shooting to um, release other people's labels? I mean, other people's music as well?
1: Uh, 100% my own stuff at the moment. Okay. Like, I don't know if it would like pick up traction. Um, it would have to pick up a lot of traction, I think. And then if people would show interest, then I'd be open for it, sort of thing. But um, it's like you say, I'd want to be able to do it properly before I did that um make sure they're paid make sure we can do like a nice vinyl release as well um yeah i i am not um making it like a website with a download button and calling it a label um unless it's just for my own tunes um but yeah no hopefully okay like a real a real time goal would be um picking up enough traction on my label to actually do some self self-release vinyl some like short runs working with like local studios um getting some like hand cut vinyl and some nice artwork printed as well to stick on the front so don't know how far down the line that is or what release that would be but, um but yeah i'm definitely aiming towards it
0: so with you being a uh a mastering engineer uh do you i know the general rule of thumb is you know don't master your own tunes yeah uh, do you do you typically work on your own stuff or do you send it off to somebody else to you know take care of your tunes for you
1: yeah I definitely I don't master my own stuff um, for release I would, I would definitely put that in the trusted hands of someone else but um, I have put out like free downloads and things like that um, of tunes that I've mastered myself mm-hmm. Um. And the process for that is like you said about the car test and stuff. So when I'm like mastering my own music, so it doesn't go through anyone other than me, that's when I'll like take it to every pair of speakers within like a mile radius kind of thing and listen, make sure it does actually sound okay. Because yeah, if you're writing a beat and then you're doing like your mix down and your mastering and stuff and you've lived with that tune for so long, Chances are you have no idea what it sounds like, um, so you really need to like reference heavily. I think for that, um, and yeah, just just repetition. So that but that delays it by quite a while. It can take like a month to play it out enough times and listen to it enough times and make those micro adjustments. So, see, so yeah, ideally, you just send it to someone else to be the second pair of ears.
0: Now, when you do work on stuff like you have a pretty. Extensive, uh, extensive client list. You know that you you know work on. Mm. Has there been any weird requests that you've received in the past? Uh, uh, like mixing and mas- or mixing, mastering, or anything of the sort.
1: Weird requests, um, I mean the exchanges ones. I often find quite interesting. Every person in any industry ever has had the sort of request of. You know, I can't pay you with money, but can I pay you with X, Y, (laughs) Z examples? You know, people trying to, like, say they've got, like, outboard equipment. Like, can you master my tune? And I'll, like, I've got this, like, Neve preamp. You can, like, send me something I'll pass it through the preamp for you. And it will, like, make it sound, like, way, way, way better. And I'm, like, "Mm," like, I'm good. No, that's all right. Um, Yeah, I've, I've worked on tunes before. Thought they sounded a bit weird. Um, send them back to the artist and they were like oh dude I completely forgot like my bass was muted the whole time so I send you like a version without the bass I'm like okay like that's why it sounded weird whatever but, um yeah check your check your pre-masters make sure your bass. you have
0: a pet peeve of when people send you you know um, send you tunes to master pet peeve yeah more of like um is there stuff that you kind of like look for or don't look for yes. when people sing, t- when people send tunes to you?
1: Yeah. Um, do you know, it's, it's something that happens quite a lot with um, the sort of house garage, um, like any music where there's an offbeat hi-hat, like mm-hmm. that kind of like style, the hi-hat can often be like so, so loud. Yeah. Um, I think people don't realize how much like DSs are used in mastering to like cull the top end that actually, um, yeah, definitely a better idea. I hear some mastering engineers say it this way, that it's best to leave on a tiny bit too much base and also like a little bit less, um, top end than necessary because, It sounds really nice to add tops in a master. If you're adding like your sort of like 8K, 10K and above sort of thing, it gives the track like a sense of openness and like sheen. And it's really nice. But if you get a track that's got too much highs, the hi-hats are like way too loud and it's like hurting your ears and you need to tame it, it's a really like, it's a really bad thing to do to the track. And I hate doing it. Because it just sounds like you're just closing in the track. Like if you turn down the highs on the track, you use a deesser, you sort of like, like close down in it, and I hate that process, that sound. Um, and with the low end, if there's not enough bass, and you're adding bass in the master, you bring up all of the sort of woolly, flumpy frequencies from instruments that that the um mixer has tried to reduce so let's say you've got like a snare or like a kick or a vocal that's nicely kind of cut in the low end and is sitting where it needs to be and in the master you bring up the lows you're going to bring up the lows in the vocal and the snare everything's going to get a bit more muddy or whatever um so yeah that's the reason why you'd want to make sure you have enough lows in your pre-master and not too much highs so how
0: often have you like run into um you working on a tune and um the tune sounds great sounds you know perfect on your end everything is translating very well but you send back to the client and they're just not happy with it. Um how how often does something like that occur or um do you go back and do like a a, a revise on it or anything of the sort?
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. Um yeah it, it it's mostly so if that would happen it's mostly like there's some sort of recognition that it sounds better but xyz so um, some clients have like quite uh, like technical expectations so um, you might send one back and they're like okay that sounds good but I just want it a bit louder like they like it a bit smashed they might have like a self master that they've smash the bits that they're like used to the sound of mm. um, which by the way if you have one of those and you're sending music to a master um, definitely send them your smashed yourself master as well because they'll get an idea of what you're listening to what you expect um, yeah also something else that might happen I mean something that's happened recently which is quite weird is being told it sounds too clean can you make it sound more dirty kind of thing um, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's that's, that's different. But yeah, I, th- I think these things you've got to work out why they're saying it, and um, it's it's kind of better to to get on board with the client, I think, and mm-hmm. work out like is there some like do they have a vision that I've missed? And I tr- I think it was if you're trying to like get on board with them and be like I understand you, I get what you mean. Then you're giving yourself the opportunity to like level up the music even more.
0: Yeah. Um, Speaking you- of how artists, you know, having a vision, do you feel it's um, primarily necessary to you know speak with the artist before and see exactly what their idea <laughs> of the tune uh, should sound like on their end? Uh, I know, I know, it's going to sound different to the engineer itself, you know, because you have a specific way that it should sound and how it in how it. How it actually should sound like it's right versus yeah. how the client wants it to sound um, do you think it's important to you know discuss that with the client beforehand
1: yeah I think it, it depends um how the client approaches you I think and you can tell with a clients approach like what what's needed like if for, like for example if they come to you and be like hey man like um, looking to have something mastered but like I'm just working on the mix can't get it right um can you listen to this because i'm not sure if it's ready yet sort of thing mm-hmm. do you get some people approach you with real like uncertainty and those are the kind of people that you might want to say well what is it you're not sure if it sounds right but what is it you're looking for um so i think that's when i might like do a deep dive onto figuring out something that might be a bit more difficult to figure out what they're trying to get to um other times people who have used me for years or whatever they send me their tunes. Um, I get to work on them. And that's kind of how it is. If there's something that sticks out, I might go back to them and say, maybe if you adjusted this, it might sound better, for example. And we have the communication that way. Um, but a lot of times with those people, we know the drill. And we kind of communicate through music. So they send me their tunes um, with a little message with it. I understand what they want. Um, and I'll send them back the music, and I'll ask them what they think generally, and oh, is it right <laughs> yeah um, you <laughs> say so your camera cut out there, yeah, I went into low power mode, that's why, but yeah, generally, um, it's fine, generally, it's cool um but yeah it's 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 always leaving it open for comment, like I'm giving them back their work, like what like is everything fine because um, yeah you, i just feel like we need to be um communicate openly yeah mm.
0: do you do you plan on possibly doing uh like in person or private you know classes in the in the near future or anything of that sort
1: yeah i mean sometimes i've done it in the past um it's not something that I openly like advertise or push for um and it's yeah something I would do sometimes people just DM me and they say hey man like do you think you know we could do some one-to-ones do some lessons and I would always say yeah always make time for that but it's um it's not something I'm necessarily pushed for but um it's something I enjoy a lot I love teaching I love chatting and nerding and um yeah like blabbing on for hours love that but um Maybe it's maybe it's more the case that by the time I've done my mastering for the day and done my own tunes, I don't necessarily have that much time left over to be pushing for yeah. lessons and like scheduling more things in.
0: Do you um. So do you f- have like any like advice for you know for people that want to get better mixes or or masterings like ways they can train their ears to you know hear things that most people wouldn't typically look for or hear.
1: Yeah. I think, um, so as far as advice goes, like general board advice, I think there's one like tried and tested, which is, um, i do it like not to rip off Nike, but like, you just have to do it over and over and over and over for many years. I think that is the only way to get from a to B from like bad to good. um, Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm still on that road. I'm still in that process uh, of trying to get better, obviously. Um, and yeah, I, I, so something that's conscious for me is trying to make sure every day I do a lot of practice, like a lot of hours of music. Um, even if you feel like you're at a point where you get really good, if you start only doing like a few hours a week or whatever, you're either gonna like digress, you're gonna get worse, or you're just not gonna get any better. Are you? So yeah, yeah. Put loads of loads and loads of hours into it. Um, whatever you think you need to learn, go research it and do it. Um, yeah, and also check your teacher because I think it's not. I don't know if it can do much harm in the long run. You'll soon realize that what you're doing and what you're learning from them isn't working. Um, but I just think you'll save your time by just like checking are they just chatting shit like uh, is this actually right or is it just another one of those fads that's going around that someone else is going to call out on and tell you do it the opposite Um, yeah I think just save yourself some time and check your teacher Um, nice man yeah
0: Yes, yeah, so before we Oh God, my voice ended up cracking there. Jesus so nice. uh, Christ. So before we end up, you know, ahead of now or anything, is there anything that you want to
1: plug in? Um uh, plugs. Plugs. Um Nah, to be honest, mate. Um I'm just vibes in, doing my thing. Um I will always be around, by the way. People always ask me, like, oh, are you available for mastering? I'm like, yes. I am available for mastering. I always will be. Um, from now on where can I, people uh, reach you at? Oh, I'm on Instagram um, Rumble Mastering I'm In emails Rumble at rumblemastering.com Facebook, Rumble Mastering Google, Rumble Mastering <laughs>
0: <laughs> Pretty easy to find you yeah. what, about, what about your label? Do you, uh, have you already started doing anything publicly for that So people can find um, yeah, The label that, in the near future?
1: Uh, physical spelt very badly so it's P-H-I-Z-I-C-A-L um, and that's on Bandcamp
0: okay nice man and when's, and when's your next release This coming up
1: um, next release will be probably in about a month I reckon month and a half um, it will be a bit more of a dirty release
0: okay yeah. nice man well, anything, anything else you want to say before we get out of here
1: um Thanks for having me. Um, thank you, Macho. Uh, yeah, fucking enjoy creating, make some dirty sounds, and have lots of fun. Peace. <laughs>
0: awesome, man. I really appreciate you know taking the time to you know chat with me, and it's it's been really fun um, actually getting to speak with you in person for the first time. I mean, no, you I've too, man. Knowing you for a couple years now, so I know. It's, like it's nice to put it, uh, face to the name. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you have a a good rest of your day, man.
1: Yeah, you too, man. Take care. Cheers for having me. You as well. See you in a bit.